So I just wanted to start by <coughs> saying thank you. Um, thank you for Tropfest and I really, really appreciate everything that you've done for the Australian film industry. I mean, regardless of what's been going on kind of in, the, in, in recent times, as, as a kind of up-and-coming filmmaker, I think that what you've contributed to our community is kind of immeasurable and I'm really, really grateful for everything that you've done, for sticking it out, for putting Tropfest on this year and for giving people like myself the platform um, that you do. Um, so I just wanted to start by saying thank you. Um, well, I really, really appreciate that. That's very, uh, very touching. Thank you. No, no. Thanks for saying that. Thank you. Um, it means a lot because the truth is, um, as everybody knows, we did almost fall over. We pretty much did fall over. But one of the things, as I mentioned last night at the Craft Awards, is you know a big part of the reason I stuck with it in the last couple of months is for the people like you who made films and expected them to be a trot first and just the idea of not having that trot first kind of just didn't sit too great with me so here we are and it's on tomorrow and i'm really excited and welcome to this week's ramble ladies and gentlemen boys and girls children of all ages of the coming up next work thank you for coming back for another episode or for tuning in for your very first episode and if you're tuning in for the first time this is a very special episode to have as your inaugural coming up next episode this is a Tropfest special I have literally just gotten home uh, from the airport from Sydney from a weekend spent in short film festival world attending the world's largest short film festival Tropfest uh, a film that I made with Ben Nicholas called Waste of Time was screening as part of the top 16 finals and you can hear all about that in my interview with Ben and you can see our film Waste of Time on Tropfest's YouTube channel under the film Waste of Time and please vote for us for the People's Choice Awards uh, and I think that closes this coming Wednesday which would be the 18th of February at midnight uh, voting for that closes so if you can put a little vote in when you hear this, which will probably be Wednesday or Thursday, that would be awesome. Uh, otherwise, just jump on over, have a look at the film, and let us know what you think. Uh, my interview with John Paulson, which is what you just heard the beginning of, um, is coming up in this episode. And it's an awesome interview. I got to sit down with John for about half an hour uh, the day before Tropfest and we got chatting and we spoke a little bit about what's been happening over the last few months with Tropfest, his hopes for the future and a lot about the beginnings of Tropfest and what he believes makes a really great and um, sustainable career as a filmmaker and in the entertainment industry. But I thought what would be awesome to do before we get into that interview was to speak to some of the other finalists. You've heard from Ben and I chatting about our process of making our film Waste of Time, but I wanted to speak to some of the other filmmakers. You know, there's a whole eclectic group of people from all walks of life from all over Australia who come together to celebrate short films. So I wanted to speak to some people who did something a little bit different to Ben and I. So first up in my special series of Tropfest finalists is Hugh Clark chatting about his documentary film, Angie. I'm joined by Hugh Clark, uh, one of the Tropfest finalists in the top 16 
with his film Angie and we are at the uh, showgrounds. We've just had our rehearsal for uh, for Tropfest. How are you? How are you feeling about the finals tomorrow, Hugh? Uh, feeling a little bit nervous being here and uh, being on stage and seeing how they're going to do the whole televised things because it's just like a monster and it's just it's so unknown and you don't have any control over it so quite uh quite a little little bit of butterflies right now mm, yeah i can definitely sympathize with that <laughs> um what um, i'm really curious about people's kind of uh, i guess adventure to Tropfest, if you like because um ours is uh you know a, a unique story in itself in the sense that ben who's my co-director called me and we'd never met before uh, about uh, 10 or 12 days before the deadline and we made our film in that time and I'd, so I'd love to hear what your uh, story about making Angie was. Well last year I stepped out to uh, be a full-time freelance media filmmaker and uh, it was a bit of a, a roller coaster ride of getting work and wanting to provide for my family and um, you know, make a living out of it. So it was a bit of a faith journey in a way. And uh, someone just said to me halfway through the year as I was starting to get a bit of momentum, they said, what are you doing for your own creativity? And I thought, well, my work's pretty creative. Um, but if I was to just think what would I want to do, um, you know, what would I want to do? What story would I like to tell? And that's when I thought of the idea of entering Tropfest and um, straight away thought of some friends of mine as the subjects and uh, from there it sort of opened up to, to producing the film. Fantastic and you're so you're now a full-time uh, filmmaker. Mm. What did it take for you to commit to doing that? I uh, launched into it I was actually working uh, I'm a Christian believer and worked for a church for a number of years uh, before that in another life I was a, an entertainer on cruise ships uh, so I've uh, had a couple of different sort of transitions in my life but um, when I worked for the church I asked them if I could make a community TV series for the new TVS that was relaunched uh, several years ago now and uh, we bought equipment and cameras and editing suite and I grabbed some friends and volunteers and we started producing a TV series and we did about 90 interviews similar to this one and we filmed about 90 tapes worth of footage and edited 15, 14 half an hour episodes. So that was how I started and pretty much that's kept me in good stead because it meant I was doing stuff that I loved, I wasn't doing stuff commercially, I was um, doing stuff that... Uh, just had a, a real sort of um, guerrilla style to it as well because we didn't have the uh, the benefit of budgets. And um, that has transpired and into work, into paid work, and uh, put me in a position where I had cameras and equipment and I could make my own film for Tropfest. That's amazing. So you just, you just kind of followed this thing that, that you were really passionate about. Yeah, I guess uh, the faith journey and my own uh, belief does give me a lot of direction and also inspiration. Mm. So I try and lean on that as much as I can because, uh, I, you know, believing um, in a God that designed the world and designed me, uh, you know, I think that there is an extension of that creativity through me if I'm open to the spirit as it were, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. So, so I sort of 
when I talk about intuition, it's, it's, it's really listening to that inner voice, if you like. And for me, that, that voice is a, a flow of, of God's voice to me in, in a relational sense. And, and, and it, there's a lot of freedom in that and there's a lot of adventure in it because uh, I sort of open up to it, not knowing where it's going to go, mm. but uh, I discover it. And uh, that was exactly like uh, the story for Chopfest. It was an intuition that these friends of mine, this artist friend Angie, who's deaf, uh, and her husband George lived such an interesting life and I sensed there was a story there and when I contacted them it was amazing the gift of the story that emerged. Mm, wow and so in your storytelling obviously there's probably some inhibitions and layers of that sort of stuff that uh, other filmmakers may experience that you perhaps don't if you're really in tune with that kind of intuitive uh, voice that you have. How important is it for you to kind of honor that kind of the truth of that voice and the, and and um, your own kind of faith and belief in your storytelling? That's an excellent question because I do get into to heated arguments with clients uh, because I do try and bring my own integrity and values and sense of direction to commercial work, and sometimes uh, that's at odds where they might want a particular subject that I'm documenting to say a certain thing or come across a certain way and I find that that isn't true and uh, and I really really value truth mm. and and so <laughs> it's uh, yeah it's it's a tricky thing um, but it always pays dividends when you hold true to what you believe in mm. and that comes across in the in the end product and it comes across just in how people relate to your story if if you know, today there's so much spin in media, and so I think when something's got a real uh, truth about it, it, it stands out. Mm. Do you think that that's part of one of the things I love talking to people about on this is uh, what what their kind of ideas about the meaning of life is? And for me, so much of life is about creation in whatever kind of form that may be. Um, what what do you kind of think and how do you take this is is truth kind of like i guess the basis of all love and is that what life is about for you big questions hey that's mm. great that's good that you tackle that because uh you know i think they are woven into the minutiae of everyday situations and certainly even filmmaking it's a starting point you know what is your world view do you do you think we're here uh, for a reason, do you think we're part of a, a grand design or, or are we just floating um, aimlessly? And, and that will have inform your decisions and your work and certainly it does for me. Uh, so <laughs> it's, it's a very hard question to answer mm. in, in a short amount of time. But, um, you know, I guess it's all about relationships. It really is that we are here not to be isolated. We are here to connect and uh, I think ultimately, too, I, I do believe that, um, you know, that, that, that in creation, in, in when, if we are extending that creation from a creator who is loving and all-knowing and powerful and, and essentially good, then, then our, our creativity will continue that good work of creation. It will have a redemptive quality to it without wanting to get lost in religious language it will have redemption it will have healing to it you know you see something that moves you it actually transforms you in one 
in some way and can heal you. And, you know, I've had a lot of hurts and difficulty in my life. And uh, I've, I'm on that journey of healing. I'm on that journey of transformation. And, uh, and I think my art and my films can be a part of that same journey and, and perhaps in a little way can bring that, that benefit to others. Mm, that's awesome. That's really, really uh, inspiring. Um, do you remember the first, you, you mentioned before that you, uh, that you ent- used to entertain on cruise ships in a former life. Do you remember the first time uh, that you ever entertained anyone, perhaps as a child or, or made a film or something that kind of gave you that little spark that made you feel like this is something I'd like to do for the rest of my life? <laughs> yeah, you know, I think as a younger brother uh, of two and being brought up by my grandparents, uh, I had a mentally ill mother and I never met my father until only nine years ago. And um, I, I was just seeking attention whenever I did anything in front of people. And at school, a teacher encouraged me to sing and I sang in a band and I got more attention. So I pursued that attention-seeking, narcissistic sort of performance orientation. In a way, my whole being was orientated towards performing and getting attention and getting love. You know, maybe the love that I never got when I was a (laughs) child, you know. We're all seeking that. (laughs) So I recognized that. Uh, Somewhere I had a revelation about that. And uh, I, you know, made this transition from being in front of an audience and even in front of, of, of uh, the camera. I hosted a, a couple of TV series and youth issues and, um, and a number of series on Channel 9, Channel 10, again, another lifetime ago. But in swapping behind the camera, it sort of was a nice um, uh, balance to my, my imbalanced ego. And it taught me to, to focus on others a lot more and not to seek the attention but to tell the story of others. And, uh, you know, I think things have started to flow a lot better in my life since doing that. Mm. Well, thank you so much, Hugh. I really, really appreciate uh, you, you chatting with me. And I really am I'm just really uh, humbled and grateful for all of the TropFest finalists this year. I think it's a very special year because of uh, the circumstances. And I, and I feel a really strong sense of fraternity amongst everyone as opposed to competition, you know. Um, obviously, we all want to win and we all would like to have that accolade, but I think we're, uh, I certainly feel a sense of support from everyone. Um, I like to wrap up the show by asking one question, and that is, what makes you silly? I think I've got an innate silliness. So it's just, again, it's built into me and I can't deny it, although I've just spent 15 minutes saying I've tried to run away from it. <laughs> so I think... Um, though rather than that having to be up in front, it actually infuses my work now from behind the camera, from when I relate to people, relaxes them. If I'm dealing with delicate subjects, uh, just being silly sometimes is a great uh, way to relax people, great way to build rapport and open people up. So I think, yeah, it's part of who I am. Again, it's part of the way I've been made. Awesome. Thank you, Hugh. A big thanks to Hugh Clark for chatting with me about his film, Angie Watt, an amazing and inspiring story that is, and certainly a very different experience to the one Ben and I had making our film. Next up, I spoke to Angela McCormick. Uh, Angela made a mockumentary called Tayman, 
which is a, uh, well, it's a little bit silly. It's about a group of middle-aged men who are all obsessed with Taylor Swift. I'm joined by Angie McCormack. Ange McCormack. Ange McCormack, <laughs> yeah. sorry. I just did an interview about a film called Angie. That's why. That's the confusion. That is the confusion. <laughs> uh, and your film, Tay Man, mm. is one of the top 16 Tropfest finalist films for Tropfest 24. 24, yeah. Tropfest 2016, 24, but the 25th year or something like that. And uh, Tay Man which is a mockumentary about a group of guys who are obsessed with Taylor Swift. Indeed, yeah. Is the first film that you've ever made. It is, it is, yeah. First film I've written and directed. And it's a finalist in Dropfest. Yes, yes. Tell me about how that happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, so around this time last year, um, I was basically doing a screenwriting class for my uni degree um, and one of the assignments was obviously to write a script and um, I had this really bad idea that I thought was great and then I started writing it and realised it was terrible and I had an assignment due the next day and I was like, crap, i got to start writing a film that's actually good um, and then for some reason I decided that I wanted to write a mockumentary because I'm a big fan of like you know, things like The Office and Parks and Rec and um, things like Waiting for Guffman and Best in Show. Like, I love those types of movies. Um, and, yeah, I just started writing this film about unlikely Taylor Swift fans. Mm. Mm, yeah, and then, like, six, seven months down the track, I got my shit together and made it. Wow. So that's the story. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. And did you make it with the intention of submitting it to Tropfest or did that kind of happen after the fact? No, I did make it like specifically for Tropfest. Um, I kind of thought it was the type of thing that maybe Tropfest would be into because I know that there had been mockumentaries in the past um, and I'd always enjoyed them. Like um, a couple of years ago, a film called Charades and I thought that was great and it got such a good reaction on the night. Um, so I kind of thought, yeah, this could be like a good Tropfest kind of film. Um, turns out it was, obviously. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's, yeah, how it happened. Cool. And did you have any kind of uh, inclination towards filmmaking or any, like the creative process of anything artistic prior to making this film? Or did you just think, I have this great idea, I'm going to make it? No, most definitely. I'd always been interested in film. Um, I'd worked on many short films and things like web series before. Um, you know, I was studying film at the time. It was always the goal. I just never, um, I don't know, maybe it was a confidence thing. Never kind of saw myself as a director and was more on the writing kind of thing. And, um, you know, that's when I first, I wrote it first. And then... Um, it felt so kind of precious to me. I was like, the only person that can direct this is me, really. Um, for a while there, I was, I was kind of thinking, oh, I could just palm this off to someone, they could direct it. And then I was like, hang on, I should be directing this. Um, yeah, so I'd always, yeah, been creative, I suppose, in my life and um, been interested in film a lot. So, yeah. Do you remember the first time that you ever made something or were part of uh, creating a film or maybe writing something or performing maybe when you're a kid where you got that kind of feedback that, that was like I want to do this as a career um yeah I mean 
I was fortunate enough to grow up in a kind of family that was very, I suppose, nurturing of creative things and talent and, you know, just my parents were very encouraging in that sense. Um, and I always saw myself as a writer and always wanted to be a writer and I was writing stuff um, from a pretty young age, I guess. And uh, my dad in particular was really encouraging of me. Um, my parents both worked in the public sector, funnily enough, like they were public servants for 30 years, 30, almost 35 years. So they, and they didn't go to uni and that, that wasn't their background at all, but they're both um, very creative and encouraged me and my siblings a lot. So yeah, I suppose when I was early high school writing some short stories and that kind of thing um, and like won the first, you know, I was first in English or something in year seven and um, that was a good moment, I guess, that I <laughs> recognised <laughs> yes. that it was like something that I was good at and that's something I enjoyed. So, mm. yeah. yeah. Always Shout had out to the McCormicks for supporting yeah. the creatives. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You had some pretty awesome people in your cast as well. Yes, yes. Um, How did you manage to do that? Um, oh, look, it's a bit of a story. Um, the good thing we've got a podcast to talk about, it, <laughs> right? right. Um, so I'd written this thing and I was like, you know, it's a pretty good script without blowing my own horn. Um, it, I, I just knew it needed, it wouldn't be pulled off if it didn't have the right actors and it wouldn't be the same if we didn't, if we kind of half-assed the casting job um but I left it a little bit late I was kind of disorganized um and we were in the final I was in the final stages of scripting and um I was showing the script to one of my friends who was the first AD Yanni Androkidis and um he kind of said to me oh like there's this guy I've seen on ABC and he seems like the kind of you know he's got a good presence and if you got him he would be great in your film or he might know people that know people. Anyway, he was referring to Craig Anderson who's done some really great stuff on ABC and he's actually an AFI award-winning director himself. Um, but he's first and foremost an actor, I suppose. Anyway, um, Yanni didn't know Craig but he just was suggesting him and um, I Googled Craig and found his email and just sent off this very... I'm sure very weird sounding email, <laughs> um, <laughs> basically going, hey, Craig, you have no idea who I am, but I've written this script and I think you might be perfect as an unlikely Taylor Swift fan. Um, anyway, Craig did respond to me. I don't know why he thought that was a good idea, taking some, you know, chance on this person that probably sounded crazy. Um, we met up for coffee. He read the script. He was like, you know, this is great. Let's do it. Um, he... Then he asked, you know, do you have the rest of your cast? And at that point, I really didn't. Um, I was sort of scouting around, asking around for actors. And I was sort of partway there. Um, anyway, Craig said to me, oh, you know, my really good friend David might be keen. I was like, oh, okay, that's great. Can you, like, give me his email? Like, what kind of work has he done? Like, maybe he'll be a good fit. And um, he was like, oh, you know, he's, like, pretty, he's pretty well known. He's done, some, he's done some big stuff. And I was like, oh, who is he? He's like, well, David Collins. And I was like... Mm, sorry, still not ringing any bells, um, which was awkward because um, he was like, well, he's one half of the umbilical brothers, like he's the curly haired umbilical brother. And I was like, oh, yeah, definitely give me his email. That would be good, yes, please. please. Yes, please. Thank you. Um, anyway, Craig gave me his email and I sent a very similar weird email to David 
um, saying, look, I'm you know, this first-time director, but hey, hear me out. Like, here's a script. I think it'll be good. I think you'll be perfect for this part. Um, and literally, it, it was very strange, but literally five minutes after I pressed send on this email that I'd carefully worded, um, David replied with only two words, I'm in. <laughs> that was it. Wow. And I was like, okay, yep, Umbilical Brother has just said he's in on my weird film. Great. Um, and I kind of had to reply being like, are you sure? Was that like a joke? Like, it's funny, but please don't toy with my dreams here. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, then obviously he was in and after I had David on board, I kind of thought, well, well where can we go from here? Like, maybe we can keep on looking for um, some bigger names and, um, yeah, anyway, Colin Lane and Frank Woodley, Lane Owen Woodley, um, they were the first comedy show I ever went to when I was pretty young. Um, really grew up watching them with my dad and my brother and sister, and they're just hilarious. Um, and I was like, you know, if I could get someone like Colin Lane, like, that would just, it would be amazing. Like, one, just to meet him would be great. Um, then I, yeah, basically called or emailed his agent and said hey I've got this script maybe you'd be interested and she called back the next day being like yep let's do it mm. um when can you do it like Colin's King and yeah that's basically how it happened and that's how I have these great stars that just I don't know for some reason listened to my work and decided it was a good idea it's because you asked yeah I yeah it actually made me think um that more people should probably ask for things mm. yeah people are scared to I don't know, just even ask. And, like, what's the worst that could happen? Like, I could have emailed Brad Pitt and, like, the worst that would have happened was I don't get a reply. Or the worst would, like, I don't know, the agent says something mean to you, but, yeah. Mm, worst case scenario, you're in exactly the same exactly. situation. Yeah, so it made me really, yeah, think about how um, people in the industry are nice. They do listen to you. Yeah. Yeah. I know a lot of people uh, in the industry who have said to me on a number of occasions... I'd love to do more short films or yeah. music videos or things like that. No one ever asks me. Yeah. They just assume or say no. Yeah, exactly. Um, but so if the work's good, people will do it. Yeah. Yeah. So from now on, I'm just going to keep on asking people to do me favours and to... <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, one day we'll be able to pay them. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's the thing. Like, we really... Like, they were volunteers as the rest of the crew were, you know, like, let's just do this thing. It seems like fun. Mm. Um yeah, they didn't have any special treatment. <laughs> and now they can say that they're going to be screened on SBS2 at 9 o'clock on Sunday the 14th of February as part of Tropfest. 2016. Indeed they can. <laughs> it's exciting. Um, you're the only female director in this year's Top 16, aren't you? Correct. I, yes. Yep. Has, that, has anyone sort of made a point of that other than me right now? Um, many people. Many people have made a point of that. Um, uh, yeah, as soon as the announcement of the finalists happened when Tropfest got back on its feet in early December um, and the finalists were public, that was that day people were sort of like, hey, there's only one female filmmaker and it's this random chick. Um, yeah, it, it was brought to my attention. I knew, obviously, straight away. Um, I don't really know what to say about it. Um, it. It's obviously a sad statistic to be one out of 16, you definitely want more, um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know what Tropfest necessarily could have done to improve it. It's hard to know with these things behind the scenes. Um, mm. I would really love to know how many female entrants there were. 
for example, and maybe that would give you a better indication of the um, the sort of divide between male and female. I mean, you know, historically and at the moment, we, we know that there's less female directors working, not a huge amount less, but there are less. So they, you know, typically there would be um, a split between male and female, but um, yeah. Do you feel a sense of responsibility? No, I, I, I mean, I'm not, I, I do in a sense feel, I don't want to say tokenistic, but I, I, it did cross my mind, you know, like, were we included potentially, I don't know, to be the one female filmmaker. Um, obviously that's, I'm sure that they wouldn't have done that because that's ridiculous. But um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think for the from an audience perspective and from people that um, want to make films, you always want to see, like I've always been inspired by, I suppose, women in the industry. So in that sense, maybe I feel like people will be looking at me and my work and, and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> mm. I'd like to think that they just choose the best 16 yeah films. and I'm, I'm, I'm quite sure that they do um, but it would just be interesting from a sort of numbers perspective to to figure out um, how many female directors working in Australia how many entered um, and that's not to be to say that if there were you know I don't know 40 percent entrance by women that there should be 40 percent female finalists um, I'm sure that they just watch the films and that's how they get in um, I think it must be a sort of industry thing with less women going into it. Um, hopefully we're seeing a change in that because I know so many young female filmmakers that are amazing and killing it. So that was maybe the thing I felt the most. I was like, oh, really? Like, I just know so many cool female filmmakers. Like, I would have thought there would have been more. But, mm. you know, I guess it's just the the entrants that come in that year and that's how it pans out. So well, I guess you just have to encourage them to make films for Tropfest next year. Most definitely, yeah. I mean, and Tropfest has, you know, there's been quite a number of great female winners over the years. Um, I, I don't know if they can be criticised for not supporting women. Um, mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, thank you so much and good luck for tomorrow. How are you feeling about... Um, feeling pretty nervous. Yes, very nervous. Um, but, you know, it's been such a... Because of the cancellation... Um, it's been a weird ride because it was so close and then it got pushed back and now it's like, oh, it's actually happening. Like mm. It will definitely happen. So it has that added, um, I suppose, sense of surreal, surrealness to it. Mm. Um, it doesn't quite feel um, real yet, but I'm sure, you know, once the lights go down tomorrow and everyone's getting quiet and like watching the films, it'll feel real and pretty... Um, Pretty strange, but great. I mean, you just want an audience for your film, and that's what Dropfest gives you. So, Very true. Yeah. Well, thank you for chatting to me. I like to ask everyone one question before mm. we finish, and that is, what makes you silly? What makes me silly? Um, <laughs> depends. Uh, I don't know. I suppose um, I don't have much shame usually. So I'm likely to do things <laughs> and be silly on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, yeah. Is that a good answer? Do you have something specifically that you do? That I'm silly? No, I mean, I'm not like, I don't have like that wacky quirk, like old Ange. But um, <laughs> yeah, no. Um, I, yeah. That's not the answer you're looking for. 
you w- you want like a trait or something? No, whatever. Oh, okay. I don't know. Yeah. Just making Taylor Swift mockumentaries. That's probably one of them. <laughs> that was a pretty silly idea. <laughs> That's a pretty silly idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Thanks, Ange. Thank you. And finally, in this little Tropfest series, we've got Nick Baker and Tristan Klein talking about their awesome animation, which in the final polls placed second. All right, so I'm Nick Baker. And I'm Tristan Klein. And our uh, entry for Tropfest 2016 is Postcards to Yule, which is one of the animated films. And the, and the, and the trailer looks uh, unreal. I think the, the style of animation that you guys uh, have kind of created is pretty freaking cool. How did you guys kind of arrive at this style? Um, yeah, so I guess uh, my background's in illustration, um, so I don't really have much formal animation training. Um, and then like ages ago when Nick and I started deciding that we're going to work together, we we're just going to do a basic like storyboard animatic because I knew nothing about animation and just kind of tried to learn a little bit on YouTube. But um, one of the main things is that I personally am not a big fan of like 3D, like really polished stuff. I kind of like the gritty, uh, you know, hand-drawn sort of feel. So I guess that's sort of what we've been trying to go for, like a, getting a little bit more polished, but yeah, gritty and yeah, that's what we've been going for. Mm. So what, what's the kind of dynamic between you guys in terms of the creative process? Because you're both listed as director and producer. Yeah, sure thing. So for a bit of background, we are old school friends. We've known each other since we were four years old. So a lot of backstory, and, and my, yeah, my background is in writing and journalism, Tristan's is in illustration. So we connected a couple of years ago and just wanted to work on creative projects. So it's literally just the, the two of us in Tristan's laptop, um, <laughs> sort of throw down ideas for stories and, um, and, and ideas, and then I go away, go away and write the screenplay and the narration, and then Tristan does all the animation. And then, yeah, just a lot of back and forth, co-direct, co-produce, but it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty two-bit filmmaking. Mm. Yeah. Well, it certainly doesn't come across that way. Thank you. <laughs> that's, that's a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> it is a very good sign. Um, so tell me a little bit about your film. What, was, what kind of inspired it and how did you set about? Yeah, so um, basically, uh, well, originally, Nick and I actually went to LA. We went to this museum called the Museum of Jurassic Technology. And in there, they had um, this room that was full of these oil paintings of these dogs. So we read up about them, and apparently they had the dogs that they sent that Russia sent into outer space during like uh, space travel. You know, they're trying to like get dogs out there. And we found out um, a few years later that the dog Laika, who was the first dog that actually made it into outer space, was a stray dog. So we sort of like decided to play around with the idea of like, what if the dog wasn't stray, and if the master, like you know, his dog was taken and. Yeah, you know, whether that'd be sort of a sad story, but kind of cute and different. So that's basically where the inspiration came from. Yeah, wow. And did you create it for Tropfest or was it something that kind of retrospectively... Yeah, yeah, it was definitely um, pretty much, you know, any film we've ever done, we create it for whatever we're aiming for. It gives us a deadline. So Tropfest was an obvious deadline that we wanted and we usually try to base it around the signature item. So... Yeah, the, having a postcard in there for the signature item being card mm. was a very sort of uh, pivotal part of the story. Yeah, sure. And so you guys have um, have known each other since you were four. How long have you been collaborating for? 
So it's been about five or so years now. And yeah, all our projects take a pretty similar form. It's my stories, Tristan's animations. And I think, yeah, I guess it's the combo of the story and the style that's a bit unique and a bit different, I guess, especially in the Australian animation scene at the moment. So, yeah, something seems to work. <laughs> well, you've had a couple of films in Tropfest now, so you're doing something right. Thank you. Um, and do you guys work as animation animators and writers, or do you have different day jobs? Um, a little bit, yes, and but like not not to the extent of you know like that's not our bread and butter. Like I mean, currently I'm back at school studying, and um, yeah, like I'll do a little bit of freelance things. It's a little bit of graphic design or a little bit of illustration or like some little animations, but nothing, you know, nothing that strenuous. Um, yeah. And, <clears throat> sorry, the past year I've lived in Indonesia, so we've been sort of having to collaborate via Skype and via distance, um, working wow. for the UN with my beautiful girlfriend who's also in the room, so shout out to Alice Garner. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, but in, in sort of in multimedia yeah, yeah. for the UN over there, so, wow. yeah. What, what's that like? It was pretty intense. We both got stomach parasites, so that was that was good fun in Jakarta, and yeah, some good diving. It's it a good year. Right, parasites and dive. Did you get the parasites while you were diving? No, thankfully separate. So right. Um, and what's what kind of inspired you to go down that route? Um, so my film degree was in documentary production. Um, so I've always been interested in real life stories, and I think that's a route Tristan and I will probably. I think our next step we're looking at doing animated documentaries. Um, so finding uh, real stories of, of real Aussies and, and telling them in animated um, animated form. So I think that'll probably be our next step. Mm. What what's the I guess what's the dream for you guys? Ooh. Tristan, um, <laughs> I would assume yeah the dream for us is probably to be able to make movies and you know um, series and things that we actually really want to do ourselves and just have the money to. You know, us both be, you know, like maybe an art director and sort of maybe oversee writers and we sort of push it, you know, to just being like a little production house that, you know, we can do what we want. And all filmmakers probably say this, but trying to sort of tell very unique stories in very unique ways that, yeah, I guess like we were saying, the next steps, if it's documentaries, finding fascinating Australians with fascinating stories and then Tristan adding a layer of his own unique animated style on top of, on top of these stories. Mm. Yeah. So do you do uh, strictly animation or do you do VFX as well? Um, pretty much just animation. Um, I mean, we did an experimental film a while ago where we like superimposed some animation over live action, um, which we you know, are keen to keep sort of pushing a little bit of that because I think that's a very interesting mix. Um, but yeah, I think that's... Yeah, I mean, if I had more training, I'd, it's an interesting area, but I haven't actually touched much of it yet. Sorry, one second. Ben. That's Ben interrupting this interview. <laughs> I'm Thanks professional. A lot, ben. Thanks, Ben. Another finalist in Tropfest. Did you hear he was in Neighbours? Four years. I heard he was in the last podcast. Ah, <laughs> uh, no, it was, it was a couple episodes ago now. Oh, so I'm behind. Yeah, research failed there. <laughs> <laughs> he makes a great animation, though, so you know, you can't, make fault, a good can't fault him on that. <laughs> um, one thing I'm really fascinated by and that I love talking to people about in, the, in this podcast is the kind of a critical moment in perhaps your childhood or adolescence where you did this kind of thing 
you know, for actors, it's performing or filmmakers that might have been writing a script or something or something at high school where you had that kind of feedback that made you feel like this is something I'd really like to do. Do you guys have a memory or anything like that? Yeah, a little bit. Like, I mean, firstly, my intrigue with um, animation would have begun like with uh, a series like Ren and Stimpy and a lot of the old Nickelodeon <laughs> shows where like, you know, you just get there and start drawing every character because you just love it so much. Like, mm. you know, the uh, series Daria was another one that, you know, I just sit there and I'd like watch it, you know, for hours and hours and just try and draw the characters. Yeah, wow. But, um, you know, specifically like within storytelling, um, Nick and I both did drama in like high school together. And, um, you know, there were times where obviously you had to write your own story and then you had to pr pr perform it in other people, like of an audience. So I think that was sort of like where, you know, you started to feel like, oh, we're writing stories, it's fun, you get the feedback. Um, yeah, that's probably some of the earlier stages of getting it. And I think the first time that we collaborated, the first film we made was uh, not atrocious, but seeing the potential of the collaboration was the first time professionally that I've thought we're onto something, we need to run with this sort of no matter what. So even though it was, it by far wasn't our most polished or successful work, just I think seeing potential in that early stuff, mm. yeah, which is, is, yeah, that's something that, yeah, is, it's a pretty pivotal moment sort of seeing the potential and running with it, not just sort of saying ah, that was a bit atrocious and then leaving it. Yeah, and um, Nick had been following Tropfest for quite a few years and I'd been doing a lot of entries and that um, but like the first year that we tried together was the first time that we actually got shortlisted which was um, you know quite a like it was the only because they never give feedback you know if you don't make it in um, or even if you get shortlisted they don't give you any other feedback to why you didn't get you know to the top 16 um, but you know to just try one thing together and get you know that extra step further just made us like think oh, we should do this again and keep going Turning failure into success. That's <laughs> failing forward. That, failing forward. That's put right. Put that on a poster. <laughs> I think it's on a book. <laughs> uh, so how long did it take you guys to make your film? So it probably took about two months. And the crazy process was, so for... Yeah, Tristan was based in Sydney. I was in Jakarta. Our editor was in Paris, and our composer was in the UK. Wow. So thank you, Skype. <laughs> I'd just like to take this moment to thank Skype. So a lot of back and forth with low-res files, a lot of back and forth with Skype. Um, yeah, so it, it was probably a month of both of us collaborating on the idea and then me writing, and then a solid month of Tristan animating, which Cara over there, Tristan's girlfriend, is probably still trying to forget. Uh, 20, <laughs> 25 hours a day of Tristan just shaking his hair out disapprovingly. And, and, and animating. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm quite fascinated by the creative process of the different kind of styles of film, if you like. I mean, some of the other guys I've spoken to, I spoke to Hugh who made the doco, Angie, about the, um, the deaf artist. Uh, I spoke to Ange, um, who directed Tayman, the mockumentary about middle-aged men who like Taylor Swift. Uh, obviously, I did one with Ben, and he and I are talking about making a kind of sci-fi drama in like a 10-day period, you know, before the Tropfest deadline. 
So it's quite fascinating to see how each of these different styles of film, how, how they need to be executed. You know, we had one day of production with everyone in this really intensive period, whereas you guys had a more kind of sustained, elongated process of a lot of back and forth and consulting. And I guess it's a testament to 21st century filmmaking that you guys could, like four people in four different continents could make a film together. Uh, which is pretty astounding. No, thank you. Um, but yeah, so I'm quite quite intrigued, and um, and it's very inspiring, you know, because I imagine you guys would have had a fairly minimal budget to make it. It was just all about the passion and the time. Yeah, no, exactly. But the point you just made then, the sort of the technology that's available and the connectivity that's available, it's yeah, it's it's fantastic. Our budget, not so much. <laughs> student life yeah well you know that's what I guess that's what we work on and why we try and hope that things like Tropfest can elevate us a little bit so that we the next project that we make maybe we can get a little bit more money mm. or a little mm. bit more exposure or a little bit more something you can donate at seekandhide.com.au <laughs> after possible <laughs> is that your that's your website that's our website cool so if you need something animated or scripted uh, perhaps in Indonesia or uh Edited in, in Paris. Was it Paris that your editor was? It is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> jump on uh, seekandhide.com. Why seek and hide? Oh, that's the cleverest we could come up with <laughs> at the time. Yeah, it was that or pig and mud. Yeah. Well, it was taken, so anyway, yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> Cool. Thank you so much, guys. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to say or plug? Or No, just it's been great to meet you, all the other filmmakers, and, yeah, it's been, been a blast. Yeah, yeah, looking forward to tomorrow. Should be, uh, should be very exciting to see everyone's film. Yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to seeing everyone's film. It's pretty cool when you meet everyone and you kind of get flavours of their film, see a little teaser, see a poster, and then we actually get to go and watch the, the movie films. There is one question I ask everyone before, uh, before wrapping up the show. And that question is, what makes you silly? Oh, Tristan, you could go on for about 25 minutes. Do you want to take the mic? What makes me silly? Other than drawing Powdered Toast Man. Uh, <laughs> yes, I do like Powdered Toast Man. Um, I'm very weird, and I probably don't care enough about what people think, so I just do weird things. That's probably what makes me weird, but um, also my taste in everything, whether it's television shows or music or... Yeah. And Tristan Klein keeps me silly, definitely. <laughs> do you have a, a specific example of something that you do? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I uh, can sort of play the didgeridoo. So that's an odd instrument that uh, I learned how to play. Um, Nick, I assume you dance while he plays the didgeridoo. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know. Part of the creative process. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Nick has silly things like, uh, you know, he, he has a pretty crazy life of play, living with a... Uh, a a Kiwi girlfriend. With a, <laughs> with a wizard and, like, making wands. That's pretty weird. For a doco a few years ago, I lived in a compound in the US uh, with uh, people who thought they were wizards. Wow. So that was quite bizarre. That's, that's pretty cool. What did you learn? <laughs> not much. <laughs> that I should not have been in that compound. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I also just, you know, run around always going pew, 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 pew to, like, people. So they, they find that quite weird. Yeah. Um, yeah, it goes down pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Are you going to do that to Mel Gibson? Uh, always. Always, yeah. Yeah, and uh, Simon Baker. Well, he'll probably read your mind and know that you're going to do it. Yeah, yeah, and he'll do it before me. 
Yeah, that'll just be freaky. <laughs> that will be freaky. Well, thank you so much, guys, and good luck. Thank you again so much. Good luck. Thank you. And you can check out their film on YouTube, and you can check out Angie and Tayman on YouTube as well, as well as all the other finalists, including our film, Waste of Time, if I haven't said that already 400 times. Please go on YouTube, check it out, let us know what you think, and if you're listening to this before the 18th of February, please vote for us in the People's Choice Award. And now, the interview that you've probably started listening to this podcast for, my chat with the founder of TropFest, the producer of Elementary, John Paulson. I wanted to sort of backtrack with you a little bit. I know um, you started out uh, as, as an actor and you moved into filmmaking from mm-hmm. acting. I, I myself did the same thing. I was, I was wondering what kind of inspired you to make that shift. Well, I started, yeah, you're right. I started as an, I mean, you know, going back even before that, I was a terrible school student you know i was kicked out of school by the time i was 15 all right um so and i really wanted to be a mechanic a car mechanic um so i was really trying to break into that and as i was doing that i got my first audition so i i started acting i got that job actually um i auditioned for a play and got it when i was about 17 so that's really where i started and so i did theater for a year or two and then I got, I guess I got a short film or two and I very quickly was much more interested in the person behind the camera. You know, I, I loved acting and I, I, you know, I think I did okay at it here and there, but, but, but I just was always, and as I got a little bit older and maybe started to do some movies and stuff, I would, I would wonder about all the decisions that had been made since I was on the set and then showing up at, say, the cast and crew screening and then now there's music and there's editing and you know, some of the good bits were cut out or whatever it was, you know, and um, I just couldn't, I was sort of fixated on the person over there who was making all those decisions and that's really how I got into it. Mm. Yeah, I remember having similar kind of feelings like on set where you're just so fascinated by by the intricate details of everyone's jobs. Um, One thing I love asking everyone who I have on the show is, do you remember the first time that you... I use the term entertained people, but what I'm really asking is, do you remember the first time that you kind of, you did that thing, whether it was performing in front of someone or making a film and showing it to people or something where you kind of got that feeling or that feedback from family that really made you go, this is something that I want to do? Yeah, it's a great question. I don't know if I have a specific memory, but I will say my, I come up from a musical family, you know, my mom is a piano player, my dad is a singer and a bass player. We all played instruments. I played the saxophone and a little bit of piano. Oh, wow. My brother plays guitar. My other brother plays trumpet. My sister, you know, is uh, piano. So um, that was a big part of my childhood was mm. entertaining and being entertained and having the spotlight and giving the spotlight, you know. Um, so I don't know if there's like a key moment, but I would say a big part of my childhood was just... You know, and, and, and I'd have to say at school, taking music out of it for a second, one of the reasons I was kicked out of school so terribly, a few schools, and then finally, you know, ejected altogether at 15, was I, I was like the class clown, you know, and mm. that was all about, if I had a choice between doing my work and getting a laugh, I was always getting a laugh, <laughs> and 
or or doing the right thing by the teacher and getting a laugh, I would always go for the laugh and get kicked out of the class or whatever. Mm. So yeah, I mean, I would say the reason there's probably not one key moment is <laughs> there was a decade and a half there of basically just trying to grab the spotlight and yeah, you know. What was one of the most ridiculous things you did at school to get attention? Wow, a um, bunch of us, you know. <laughs> Well, the, the, one of the teachers had a mini moke, and we figured out if about, and I was the ringleader, of course, about eight of us could pick it up. So we uh, put it on the roof of the school, actually. <laughs> the school, it's hard to describe. The school was built on a hill, which meant the driveway had quite a convenient, you know, positioning to the roof. Yeah. So we managed to somehow get it on there. So yeah, so you put her car this was on next the level fucking around. This wasn't yeah, yeah. just you know. <laughs> that wasn't putting a tack. There was on a her fire seat. involved in a classroom at one point. I mean, it was this was hardcore shit. Yeah. yeah. So what you're saying to all the young filmmakers out there is, if you'd like to make a difference, <laughs> start a fire. Don't do what I did. <laughs> Don't do what I did. No. So let me ask you this: Will you be busting out the saxophone at the Tropfest after party? <laughs> Now that you mention it, <laughs> no, I do have I do have two saxophones back in New York. Um, I don't play them nearly as much as I'd like to, but but no, I won't be doing that at the after party. <laughs> um, on that note, what was it? And I'm sure you've told this story many times before, but you started Tropfest in 1993. Right. It's now 2016. Right. What was it that inspired you to create Tropfest in the first place? Well, it really came out of the necessity of screening a movie. I made a film called Surrey Hills 902 Spring Roll, <laughs> which which was a mockumentary mm. about a food deliverer who went around, you know, delivering spring rolls and getting into altercations and stuff. It was kind of based on that show Cops, but and obviously a comedy version of, you know. So I made the movie, you know, got all these people together, not all these people, there's probably eight people involved. Um, and then I, I, I edited it. I thought it was a masterpiece. I've, I've since found out actually it was a long way from that. But, you know, when you're in the middle of it, mm. you think it's brilliant. And you and you and the people who made it are all laughing and stuff. So I wanted to show the film. And I couldn't afford a cinema. So I approached the Tropicana Cafe where half of it was shot. And I went to Serge, who still owns the cafe. And still still um, pretty tight with Serge. I like him a lot. He's coming tomorrow night. Oh, awesome. Oh, actually, no, wait a minute. We invited him, but he's out of town. Nah. I, I, I take that back. But but um, anyway, I went to Surge and said, look, you know, can I put a TV up here? Can we show the movie? And so it really wasn't this grand plan to have a festival, certainly to be sitting here 23 years later. Um, it was just a, out of the necessity, like any young filmmaker telling a story, you want to have an audience. And mm. I thought the audience would be maybe 20 people, the ones who'd worked on it mostly. And uh, two hundred people showed up. Wow! And then, and then it's kind of this is the part not many people do know. Everyone was like, "Hey, you should do this festival." And all I wanted to do was be an actor and be a director. And, and so I was thinking, "Well, why don't you do you do a festival? Why do I have to do a festival?" <laughs> and then I want to do all the hard work. Yeah, exactly. It was kind of like I, w- I didn't see myself as an organizer of festivals, you know. But they just. The screening had kind of popped and people just wanted to do it again. So I reluctantly took it on as my little project and it grew from there. Mm. How important do you think it is to 
embrace those opportunities and those moments in time because because we live and we work in a profession that is kind of fraught with instability and you kind of never know what's around the next corner how important do you think it is to take those moments i think it's very important you know i mean one of the things i hated about being an actor was always waiting for someone else to call me and give me a job that's why there is a trop fest you know the other reason there's a trop fest is i remember a few friends were getting together to rent an office and there was i think there was four rooms in the office and they they only had three people so they asked me if I wanted to rent an office, and I really had no business having an office. I, I had no, you know, I had no business. But I, I agreed, and I think I paid 80 bucks a month at the time. And I th- I, I'm convinced that because of that office and having to do something in it, and it was obviously around the same time as the screening, that became the Tropfest office. And so to answer your question, I think it's really important to be open to those opportunities and to really never say no you know if something comes your way a lot of times there's a reason for it Mm, one of the things that i've been really i guess engaging with in my life in general is the idea of saying yes and then figuring it out how later exactly you do have to do that you you just have to run with it especially in the creative field i mean you 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 know i guess you can say no if the project just doesn't feel right to you if you don't feel like the standards up to but but if it's something you know if you doubt say yes mm. you know if it's a, if it's an out and out no then that's fine but if you I mean ring, I'd say go for it because mm. um, you know it's it's a lot of times these things find you for a reason I think mm. um, and how important do you think it is to take these things in good humour as well you obviously you know talking about the short film that you made um, to start Tropfest and also talking about uh you know your kind of schooling and all that sort of stuff it seems as though you 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 take your work and your life very seriously but you don't uh sorry you take your work very seriously but you don't take things too seriously on that kind of level you take it with really yeah. good humor i try not to you know i think i i really am attracted to people who don't take themselves too seriously and can sort of get the joke you know um and that's really important to me i try to be like that i i try never to get caught up in myself or my work. Um, sometimes it's hard because you're under a lot of pressure and under a lot of stress. My mum said some. My mum is quite a character and a, a, a brilliant, brilliant piano player who never really got discovered in any possible way. She's a jazz piano player in Australia, which is just like you might as well, you know, you're never going to make any money. That's it's what my like, brother does. Right. It's just a very, very tough tough gig i mean she was she was brilliant but you know oscar oscar peterson level brilliant wow playing i mean seriously Mm. um playing in chinese restaurants for like 20 bucks and stuff because it's australia and jazz isn't really the thing um but she she told me many times through my childhood you know she used to say there's not a skerrick of evidence to say that life should be taken seriously and I think there was a lot of truth to that. And mm. I, I took that from her, you know. Mm. Um, some things, you know, like I said, you get caught up in stress and, you know, but if you can remind yourself that, wait a minute, I'm not curing cancer here. No one's dying. I'm, say, putting on a festival or I'm making a film. Have some fun, you know. Mm. And, and some of my heroes have great senses of humor as they do pretty amazing things. Mm. My grandfather uh, always said growing up, um, thou shalt obey the 11th commandment, which is always laugh, especially at thyself. 
Right. Some, like at the end of every speech, he w- like at a family event or something, he wow. would always say that. That's great. Well, that's a great. That's a great philosophy for sure. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, wha- where do you see Tropfest in ten years? I know we've spoken a little bit about what's happened in recent times, where it started, and you mentioned last night that there's some pretty awesome changes that are, are happening uh, in terms of evolving the festival. Right. Well, I mean, you know, with the events of the last couple of months, which have been pretty traumatic and really challenging, um, there's a lot to be upset about, you know. But I'm trying to look at the silver lining here and come out of this with Tropist 2.0, you know, the phoenix rising from the ashes and Mm. to see, to learn from mistakes we've made. I mean, you know, we've had an amazing 23 years. I think there's a lot to be proud of. Um, but we could do better, you know. Um, I want the festival... I've heard some criticisms, as I mentioned last night. You know, there's been a lot of... I don't know if anger is too strong a word, but sort of resentment about the whole rights issue, um, which I've never taken as seriously as I probably should, only because I knew what it meant from the Tropper side was, mm. like I said last night, it's not like we we're making all this money out of these movies, but I think it's... Sometimes what matters is the messaging, you know, and the mm. messaging wasn't right, so we're fixing that. Was and that, if I may interrupt yeah. you just for a sec, was that uh, was the idea of that born out of, say, for example, Wilfred coming out of Tropfest and then going on to be a hugely successful show? Yeah, probably. I don't know if Wilfred would be an actual example, but yeah, that kind of idea. Um, it wasn't like it wasn't like we resent, you know, we were obviously very ex- Wilfred did wonders for us Mm. just because it happened um i think it was just maybe just misguided idea from a decade ago where where and don't forget a decade ago nobody knew what was going on with youtube with Mm. content with digital platforms and you know half of them weren't even you know invented at that point so it was probably you know an idea from someone on the team, it might have been me, it might not have been, saying, look, we should be building a library here. And I think it's, I don't think it's an evil ploy. It was probably just not quite in the spirit of the rest of the event. And, and that's why we're changing it. You know, it should be in the spirit of the rest of the event. Mm. We've learned a lot. And I've learned a lot in the last couple of months about how this is, you know, the, the putting, the, the, putting the disaster of what happened aside, just the way it's come back. And I guess there's a lot of love in the room too right now. The reason we're going to be standing tomorrow night is because probably 95% of the feeling that has come out of this thing has been very positive towards Tropics. We've, mm. we've had our detractors and all that, but um, but uh, you know I, I think it's a good time to just just um, to see where we are and and do a little bit of navel gazing and make sure that. This event is what 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 it's mo- what it started as and what it's meant to be. Mm. Have you noticed over the years? Because you would have seen a lot of um, a lot of obviously breakout filmmakers and actors and writers, and you've worked with some of the biggest actors and writers in the world and producers. Do you notice anything, uh, any kind of consistent qualities or traits in these people that? Um, that has helped them either to elevate or to uh, maintain that kind of level of work. Well, that's a great question. Yeah, I think um, I think one of the common th- and and I've never really articulated before. That's why it's a good question. Um, I think what I notice 
is kind of an unwavering com- commitment to your own voice, you know, and a sort of fearlessness of vision and to be able to have people second guess you and for you to respectfully say, hey, thanks for that, but I'm good, mm. you know. Um, just to have that sort of inner confidence and I distinguish that from cockiness or arrogance, just confidence, a quiet confidence that you know what you're doing, that you understand what your story is um, and that you're open to, you know, you, you're not shut down, you're open and if someone's got a better idea than you, maybe you'll, maybe you'll take it but nine times out of ten they probably don't because it's your story and it's your vision. Mm. Yeah. How much money do I have to pay you to make sure Waste of Time wins Tropfest? Well, I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I happen you. to bring my wallet with me, and it's <laughs> mine has moths in it. So <laughs> I don't, I don't accept moths. If you need any clothes <laughs> eaten up, <laughs> um, thank you so much for doing this, John. I really, really appreciate it. Um, and as I said before, I'm really, really grateful for the opportunity. Just for me, being in the top 16 is a massive win. Um, and I really, really can't wait for tomorrow night. I have one last question yeah. that I ask every single guest that I have. And that question is, what makes you silly? Well, what makes me silly um, is my two kids. I have two incredible daughters, um, seven and four. And I'm silly with them anytime I can, and they're pretty silly with me too. So well, it's a silly festival at my place when the three of us are around. <laughs> What's what are what, what's some of the, some of the silliest things or sillier things you've done? Oh God, we've done. <laughs> I mean, we've done. You know, with kids. Uh, you you mean with them? Yeah, yeah. Wow, nothing that can be really repeated on a <laughs> podcast with them. It's all about toilet humor. You know, they're yeah, kids, yeah. so they're endlessly talking about you know anything to do with the toilet. Oh, this is like an R-rated podcast, right? I'm surprised we haven't. I don't know if it yet. would translate, you know, me describing what I do with my. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you'll have to take my word for I'll it. We do some pretty, it. pretty silly stuff. Cool, awesome. Thank you so much, John. Awesome, thank you. And I'm, I'm, you know, your film is incredible. Thank you. You should be very, very um, proud to have gotten through uh, hundreds of entries, um, and it's, 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 it's awesome. It's really well made, and the performances are fantastic. Um, it's really interesting, which is, it, which is, which is not an easy task, you know. Especially the number of short films I've seen and we've all seen to, f- to, to come upon an idea um, that is just feels fresh is mm. is great. And and I'm just excited to see the crowd. Yeah. You know, there's going to be quite a few people there tomorrow. I got goosebumps. Yeah, it's going to be good. I'm not sure if you know just quickly the the kind of story behind our film either. Um, ben Nicholas, who is the um, other director my co-director we'd never met and he called me with i think 10 days before the deadline and said do you want to make a film and i said yeah i'd love to i love the 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 whole like the courage that it takes to go let's just make a film in 10 days and we got together with a few friends came up with the idea shot it on the friday uh, and then it was due on the following thursday so we got it in by the skin of our teeth incredible that's incredible it was pretty and and it's probably one of the films i'm the most proud of yeah as, as a story as a film i think it really stands up yeah and and listen two things about that first of all you would never know to watch it it feels like this year-long mm. production you know 
Um, but you know, art is like that. Sometimes it is about the deadline. And one of the one of the beauties of Tropfest from the beginning is it created a deadline. You know, there were plenty of people sitting around the Tropicana Cafe way back when, who were just talking and talking, talking about the films they were going to make. And when Tropfest came along and said, "Hey, you've got to get it in by September the 11th," and it was you know, it was August. They were like, "Oh my God!" I, you know, and it suddenly just created this urgency which i think was a um, big part of why why it became what it became yeah and also just to touch on the point you made earlier about taking the opportunities when they come it would have right. been very easy easier for me to go no there's right. no way you can do that right but you know to really take those moments and we created lightning in a bottle and that was that's such a rare thing and it's so awesome when it works in film and yeah i'm really really excited about not only screening our film tomorrow night but bes- but but seeing the lightning in a bottle that everyone else created as well yeah awesome thanks it's gonna be a great night i'm so glad we did this yeah me too thank you thank you